0: Spirit of Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have of calling on your name. We realize that it is the ultimate pleasure to know that you are our God. Lord, we know that you are the Lord of the universe. Everything ultimately bows to you. But we have the privilege of understanding that under the canopy. Of grace. We have the privilege of calling on your name, not because simply of your awesome majesty, but of your covenant faithfulness. We call upon you voluntarily. We call upon you with all of our hearts and all of our souls. Everything that we are bears witness to your goodness. But we know ultimately every knee will bow and every tongue Will confess, and many will do it to their shame and their regret. We thank you for the privilege of calling on your name because we love you, because we bless you, because we honor you. We thank you for the commission in this life that we can reach out to people who don't know you, but who should fear you, who don't love you, but who should honor you. We have the privilege of reaching out to them and doing something to help them to change their minds and to change their hearts in the name of Jesus that they might learn to worship you and bless you and praise you for who you are. They will inevitably bow one way or the other. Our goal is that they bow down to you of a free will, not an utter shock of your glory and majesty, but in tender love of your character, of your covenant faithfulness, of your patience, of your love, God help us to help somebody. Lord, I know the work gets kind of difficult sometimes and we, we get a little tired sometimes, but, but help us to get our second win. It's a new year, it's a new day, we have a new set of responsibilities. Help us to help somebody, Lord. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen, amen. Amen. Oh, praise God, it is a joy, amen, (laughs) hallelujah. It is a joy to be here, as always, always good to be home. I want to um, read to you from a portion of scripture, and then we're gonna kind of bounce around the scriptures for a little while, and try to develop uh, an idea that I think God wants to breathe into our hearts today, I'm going to talk to you on the topic, A Word to the Weary, and the goal today is that we allow God to speak to our hearts so that we remind ourselves that as much as we have accomplished in our life, as much as we have made a difference, as many lives as we have touched, there are still lives out there that need to be ministered to, and for the most part, I'm convinced that the better part of our ministry has not yet even begun. I believe that there is something that we have to do in this final day, in this generation, that will eclipse anything and everything that we have ever experienced, not only as Christian individuals, but as a church, as the church age. I just believe that the best is yet to come, that there is a great thing that God is looking to do. And I think he wants to breathe new life into us, a bit of freshness that will allow us to go on, as it were, that extra mile. Sometimes it's the last lap that's the most difficult. And we just need God to speak to us and help us to get to that point. Now, I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew, the 17th chapter. You can turn there if you will. If not, um, just listen. I'm going to read just about four verses. And then we're just going to trek to various points in the scripture. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now we know that this is the second time that God spoke from the Shekinah. God spoke from the glory cloud with regard to Jesus and who he is and what he was here to do. He is the only begotten son of God. He is the only true son of God by nature. We are sons and daughters by adoption. He's the son of God by nature. And what God is saying here, he had already said before at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But now you and I recognize that the ministry of Christ is going into, as it were, a time of crisis. The time of acceptance is almost over the time of people coming to him curious as to who he is and asking him questions and so on, those times are beginning to be elapsed and they're about to be eclipsed by times of rejection. This is the time where he's starting to go back and forth with the Pharisees. This is a time when the cross is looming large. He, at this stage, is in the shadow of the cross He's at the twilight of his earthly ministry, and God takes him aside, and he says to him something that he said to him at the beginning of his ministry. That is, you are my son, and in you I am well pleased. And the Bible suggests that he's talking with Moses and Elijah in the presence of his disciples. Now, if you and I consider what he's talking about with Moses and Elijah, in the book of Luke, it gives us a little bit more clarity in that, and it reminds us that he's talking about his decease. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about that second half of his ministry or that latter portion of his ministry, that part that was going to require everything that he had. It's similar to us. We start off a certain way. God gives us a certain calling. He makes it clear what he wants us to do and how he wants us to go about it. And we do the best that we can. We minister outwardly. We we love on people. We do everything that we can to live a life that bears witness to the reality of the indwelling spirit. And then as time progresses, we can become a bit weary in well-doing, especially if you're moving from that time Of acceptance to a time of rejection, or you're moving from a time where everything is new and exciting, and and now it's getting a little bit where you're dealing more and more with the pressure of the calling, and you're dealing with some of the hardships of the calling. And so God comes, and he begins to speak to you again the thing that he had already spoken to you. Now, when we think about God doing this in the life of Christ, sometimes we say, well, Jesus knew who he was, and there was no reason for reassurance, and so on and so forth, until you begin to see him, for instance, at Gethsemane. And you see him weeping and crying and saying, God, this cup is too much for me. Saying, I can't do this. There must be a different way. And then coming to the resolution, not my will, but thine be done. You want a good New Year's resolution? Not in my will, but thine be done. Let's, we, right, if we lock it into that, it becomes pretty generic, but at the same time pretty specific. And so Jesus is fully God, fully God in every sense of the word, but he's also fully human. Fully human in every sense of the word. And sometimes even Jesus needed to be reassured, but not just Jesus. Remember, the disciples are there. And he said to them, right before they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, some of you are not going to taste death until you see the Son of God coming in his power, until you see the kingdom of God coming in its glory. So basically, what he's saying to them, as they're beginning to witness all of the rejection now, and they have to weigh and judge, you understand, because they had been influenced by the Pharisees, influenced by the Sadducees, influenced by the lawyers, influenced by those people who are now arguing with Jesus and against Jesus. They were raised by these people to a certain degree, and they had to fight some things off. They had to fend some ideas off. They had to fend off some lies, just like you and me. As we walked through this society, we were raised in this society. We were taught to believe certain people. We were taught to be influenced by certain people. And as they begin to bear witness against Christ, we sometimes need reassurance. We need to see Jesus in his power, and we need to see the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And that's all he did. He took them to this mountain, and basically he gave them their second wind. He spoke, as it were, from God spoke, as it were, from the glory cloud, a word to the weary. Now, think about Moses and think about Elijah. They had very similar situations, didn't they? Moses at a certain point, you'll see it in Exodus, around somewhere between the 30th and the 34th chapters, right? You read that whole block of scripture, and you will see Moses bringing the children of Israel, obviously brought them out of bondage, brought them to Mount Sinai. God speaks to them from the glory cloud, From the mountaintop, he gives them what's called the the 10 words or the 10 commandments. And then he calls Moses to the top of the mountain and he actually writes the 10 commandments. So, first he speaks it verbally to the entire community. And then they say, Moses, you go up to the mountain because we don't really want to hear God's voice directly. And so he goes up to the mountaintop. And that's the way it was back in the old covenant. Thank God that's not the way it is in our generation. But in those days, there had to be an emissary, there had to be somebody who spoke on behalf of God. Nowadays, we don't have gurus. We don't have emissaries. We all can talk to God. We can all hear his voice and know his name, right? So now Moses goes to the mountaintop. He gets the word, right? God writes it on the tablets of stone. But as Moses is coming down from the mountain, he recognizes that the children of Israel had become hypnotized, if you will, by the way of the Moabites, by the way of the Ammonites, and so on and so forth. They wanted to go their way. They wanted to do what they were doing because their life looked like fun. They were, the Israelites were out in the midst of the wilderness. They didn't seem to have anything. And the Moabites seemed to be enjoying themselves. The Ammonites, they had their gods. They had their kings. They had their armies. They had their prestige and their power and their position and so on and so forth. And so the people began to create a God that would allow them to live like the Moabites. And they said, these are the gods, O oh Israel, that brought you out of the house of bondage. These are the gods that brought you out of the fiery furnace. And then Moses comes down and he sees it. You know what happens. He gets upset. He takes the law, literally breaks the law, right? Just throws it down and decides that he needs to intercede on behalf of of the people. Now, he goes and he intercedes on behalf of the people because he recognizes that what they had done was displeasing to God. God made that very, very clear. God actually said to Moses that I'm going to destroy this people and I will raise up a people after you. And they will go into the promised land. Moses began to intercede. Now, here's what's going on with Moses. He is saying something to this effect. Lord, you have every right to leave us now. You have every right to leave us in the wilderness, but we are going to depend upon your grace. We're going to depend upon your favor. He said, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your glory. Now, Moses had already seen the glory of God. Just like Jesus had already heard, you are my beloved son, and you are well pleased. Moses saw the glory of God all the way in Exodus 3, right? When he saw the fiery bush, and he heard the voice come forth from the fiery bush. So he had already seen God's glory, but now this was a little bit different. This was God, show me your glory in a particular life atmosphere, in a particular context. Show me your glory. Show me what it looks like when people get tired. I don't think he was just talking about the Israelites, Because they made up their mind to do some things. Some people repented, some people didn't, so on and so forth. But Moses was tired. He had given everything that he had. Remember he started to say things like, did I have all of these children that I should deliver them into the promised land? And so on and so forth. He had given everything that he had. And he was disappointed by the end result. He expected wonderful things to happen, and rightly so. He expected that God's people were going to bow down to the Lord and all sorts of wonderful things. A journey that should have taken 11 days took 40 years. And he was upset about it. And he said, God, if I found grace in your sight. In other words, what he's saying is, God, if I am who I believed myself to be, If I am called the way I believe I was called, then show me. Show me something. Let me know that it doesn't end here and it doesn't end like that. And then he goes on, in essence, saying, as much as we've poured in, there's still a long way to go. And God says at a certain point, excuse me, He says at a certain point, I'm going to send you into the land. I'll send my angel with you, but I'm not going to go with you. He said, I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll make sure that you have a word, because angel means messenger. I'll make sure. It's almost like God is saying, listen, I'll let you go to church, but don't expect to meet me there. And Moses said, no, 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 that's not good enough. (laughs) Right? It, it It would be the same as if we said as a community, God has been with us for 30 years, 31 years, doing wonderful things, but we dare not take any step without God. Everything in us says we could have the provision, we could have the protection, We could have the preaching, we could have all that wonderful stuff, but if we don't have the presence, what difference does anything make? Amen. That's what makes this church what it is. We have always embraced the presence, no matter what it costs us. So now Moses says, show me your glory. Now, the wonderful thing about it is, there are things that God couldn't show him, obviously, because he was still in old covenant man at that stage I mean even us as new covenant people there's still things that we have yet to see we look forward to those times but we've seen a lot more than they've seen except you see Moses here talking to Jesus later on and and getting a glimpse you know into things that we see on a regular basis well anyway God begins not so much to show him but to speak to him A word in season to him that is weary. Remember, he causes his glory to pass by and he starts to talk about all of his mercy and all of his compassion and all of his goodness, how he slowed the anger. In other words, what he's saying to Moses is, What I called you to, I am going to persist in. He's saying, don't look at the circumstances. Look at me. Remember he says, amen. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful and I'll be compassionate to whom I'll be compassionate. What is he saying there? He's simply saying, mercy is my choice. Compassion is my choice. So here we are, Moses getting a second win, getting a second look. What happens to him? The Bible says his face began to shine, just like at the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God begins to manifest on him, and it becomes evident to him That there's still a way to go. There's still a call on his life. There's still a responsibility. And it's God saying to him, and God saying to us no matter how difficult the road might be, no matter how in disappointment you might engage as they did, as Moses did, as Elijah did. When God calls you to something, then you are called to that thing. And whatever that call is, God is going to see you through. Hallelujah. And sometimes he just wants to pull us aside and remind us of that reality. So he says to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, you are my son and you I am well pleased. Then he says to him during that time of difficulty, you are my son and you I am well pleased. He causes Moses to bear witness to his glory at the beginning of his ministry. And then later on, he causes Moses to bear witness to his glory at that stage of Moses' responsibility. Same thing with Elijah, the other one that was speaking to Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember Elijah is being used by God? And this is in Kings somewhere. You have to read, you have to read both of them in order to find it. <laughs> I don't want to make it too easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> So he's going through his thing, right? You know, God uses him to call down fire from heaven and then water right afterward to turn the face of Israel back to God just like he did with Moses. And then all of a sudden, the people go from crying out, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God, to fearing the wrath of Jezebel. And Elijah gets frustrated. And he runs. And I don't think he ran out of fear, although there would have been fear, there, no question, nobody wants to be killed, right? But I think the main thing is he ran out of frustration. Maybe he kept saying, I'm no, I'm no better than my father's, just just take my life away from me. So somebody who's afraid to die doesn't usually pray that way, right? <laughs> they don't usually say, I'm running from Jezebel because she's going to take, take my life away from me. I think there was something else there, something that said, I'm finished. I gave it everything I had. I briefly saw a revival. Maybe it's time for somebody else now. But God said, no, it's not time for somebody else now. Now, understand what's going on. That doesn't mean that there is not time for other people to do what they do. It only means that it's not the end of Elijah's time. So he says to Elijah, when Elijah goes down to the mountain, right? Moses went to the mountain. Elijah went to the mountain. Jesus went to the mountain. Moses fasted a certain amount of days. Now Elijah fasted a certain amount of days. And you know what happened when Jesus comes down from the mountain. And there's a, a young child there right, being thrown from the water to the fire, and certain disciples couldn't cast the demon out, and they asked Jesus why I couldn't, they cast him out, he said certain things come out only through prayer and fasting, right, so Moses fasts, and he gets a second wind, Elijah fasts, and he gets a second wind, now, at first Elijah wasn't fasting, he was just not eating, there's a difference, <laughs> right, <laughs> between fasting and not eating, in fact, the Lord, remember, the Lord had to, reprie- had to reprove him first and says, Elijah, rise and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So the Lord first fed him, then on that he fasted for the next 40 days. He goes to the mountain, and he hears, again, a word to the weary, a voice, a thin, small voice, after he had seen wonderful signs and wonders, just like Moses who saw the Shekinah and saw the glory, to a limited degree, of course. But then there's the voice. And God says to him, don't worry, you're not alone. I have 7,000 that have him bowed down to the enemy. And then he tells him about a man named Elisha, right, who was going to be able to stand by his side. So he was going to have somebody to help, somebody to train, somebody to develop and so on and so forth. But that didn't mean that his ministry was over. It only meant that he was also being called to train other ministers. Now, once he heard these realities, he went back to his ministry. The first first question the Lord asked him was, Elijah, what are you doing here? And there are times when God will say to us, as we go through our little bits of difficulties and it gets a little wearisome and we get a little tired and and we find ourselves, you know, just, I mean, just, God, I can't do this anymore. That's what Moses said, right? That's what Elijah said. That's what Jesus said at Gethsemane. That's what fasting involves. Fasting involves this idea of mourning before God because of the needs of the needy, because of the great difficulty that we face on a regular basis if we're actually doing ministry in this generation. It means to come to God and to be honest with God and to pour out our heart before God. Remember, they used to put on sackcloth and ashes and they would go into a time of mourning. That's what fasting looked like in those days. So it's like coming to God and telling him, this is too much for me. Coming to God and saying, Lord, I need your help. I can't do this alone. The the days where it was just pure energy, those days are gone. The days when it was just brand new and it was adventure, those days are gone. And now I have to settle into the reality of this. And now we are fighting against the big boys because we're in that final generation. And our wars are real. You should be tired. I know it's the beginning of the year. It's hard to be tired at the beginning of the year. <laughs> but this war is real. And so we poured our heart before the Lord and we said, God, I, I, take this cup away from me. I can't, I can't do this anymore. That's that's the mindset of, of fasting, mourning for the lostness of the lost, for the needs of the needy. But then prayer is not just me opening my heart to God, but listening. Listening to him speak a word in season to that person who's weary. So that's what Moses did. Moses poured out his heart and then he listened. Elijah did the same thing. He poured out his heart and then he listened. You see the same thing with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They pour out their heart and then they listen. Certain things can only be overcome through prayer and fasting. And now all of a sudden, Elijah's opening up a school for the prophets and and he's training Elisha and he's got all all, all of these wonderful ideas again and he's doing all these wonderful things again. He realizes that there is a second wind. I mean, he's realistic. He knows he's not going to live forever, so he's training young people to do the thing that he does, but he also recognizes that the young people at this stage are not ready to fight on the level that he fights, and there still has to be people that are able to fight on that level until the young ones are ready. And none of us at this stage of our lives, none of us can give up and say, well, we leave it you know, to Pastor Patrick and the youth group. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that to my, to my students at Summit and, and all the people that work with us at Summit. We can't say, well, it's their time now. It's their turn now. It's not their turn yet. They have a great deal of responsibility in their generation. They have a great deal of responsibility in this time. But when they start fighting monsters and devils on that level, they should be ready. In the meantime, that's what we do. That's what we're called to. So we pass the baton, but we hold on to it for a little while. And that's what Elijah did with Elisha. That's what Jesus was doing with the three disciples that were with him. What I want to suggest to you is simple, and then we're going to close. No matter how difficult the road is, no matter what you have to endure, your battle is not over. Hallelujah. The thing that Moses did ultimately was more than he had ever done. Moses did more after he was 80 than anything that he had done in his life up until that point. There are people in this room who, can, who will look and you'll look at your birth date and you'll say, well, I did everything that I could. Now it's time for the next person. If you're still here... <laughs> That means your work is not finished. <laughs> it's a little bit, little bit of mandatory overtime, right? You got, you got to do what you got to do, right? Because Moses did more after that second win than he did before. Elijah did more after that second win than he did before. And you know what Jesus did. After. There is a call in your life that's greater than anything that you've experienced up until this point. Brothers and sisters, the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean that we don't train young people. It doesn't mean that we don't pass the baton and ask them to hold on as we run together. Those things we have to do because we're realistic people. We're not gonna be here forever. And as long as this generation is, as long as the earth is, there needs to be a witness. But in the meantime, we sometimes just need a word to the weary. We need God to be able to call us aside and remind us of something that he had already said to us. That's what he did with Moses. That's what he did with Elijah. And now Moses and Elijah are there doing that same thing with Jesus as God speaks to Jesus. So the final thing I want to do is be very, very practical with this. What does it mean for us to hear that word in season? If you look at what was going on at Gethsemane, I'm sorry, at the Mount of Transfiguration and later at Gethsemane, well, particularly at the Mount of Transfiguration, even though Peter might have said some things that he didn't fully understand, you know, let's build three tabernacles and so on and so forth. I think what was going on was God was speaking to Jesus from three different directions. He spoke to him directly from the Sekina, just like he speaks directly to our heart. He spoke to them. Spoke to him through Moses and Elijah, right? Which can represent the law and the prophets. So he speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us directly. He speaks to us through his word. And then what? He speaks to us through each other. Where well, he spoke through Peter, even though Peter was not, at that moment, you know, entirely theologically exact. None of us are. We're all babies, babbling babies doing the best that we can to help somebody. That's all we are, and God is all right with that. He can still use us. Now I want to suggest to you that there is no shame in being weary. There's no shame in breaking your heart in the presence of the great God. As long as you're willing to let God talk. When you and I talk, we talk respectfully, we talk humbly, we talk lovingly to God, but we talk honestly. God is not interested in our play in religion. The key is when God starts to talk, we don't walk out. When God starts to talk, we listen. Because he will speak a word to us in season. Sometimes he does it in prayer. Sometimes he does it through the heavens, declaring the glory of God. Sometimes he just speaks, a, drops a word into our heart. He's a wonderful God. He lives there, so he can do that. Sometimes he speaks to us through the word of God. So you and I might say, I just don't feel God speaking to me in that way. Then We just open our Bible and he'll speak to us in that way. And then, trust each other. We don't always do it perfectly, but we can speak a word in season to each other when we get tired. The drawback sometimes is you feel more vulnerable when you're tired, so you're very, very particular on who you let speak into your life. There's some wisdom in that, but don't get to the point where you become, in your times of weariness, unapproachable. Wisdom says be semi-permeable, right? Semi-permeable means certain things get in and certain things just can't. But make sure you let somebody in. And then when you get an opportunity to be that cup of cold water... Be that to someone. Even if they're a little bit resistant, don't be afraid of resistance. Remember, we talked about it earlier. Jesus, time of acceptance, time of rejection, or time of resistance. That's okay. As long as you get your second win, you can help somebody else with theirs. So I want to pray with you this morning. The message is very, very plain, very, very practical but it's biblical and it's real. My prayer is that you take a moment. Now, you'll do it in other ways when you leave here, of course. You'll have your time of study, your time of prayer. You'll know who to speak to and so on. I'm just saying here. While you're here, take a moment and just let God speak a word to you. It's one thing to hear it from somebody like me or somebody like your brother or your sister next to you, it's another thing to bow your head in the presence of the great God and hear him drop a word into your heart. There's some people in here who are weary. You're weary in well-doing. You're not tired because you're spinning your wheel. You're not tired because you're running from God. You're tired because you've been doing a lot of good things. And sometimes doing good things in a world that challenges that can be very challenging. And I want to pray with you. But that doesn't exclude. If somebody is running from God, you can come too. But for the most part, what I'm saying is if you are running with God and you're running for God and you're just getting tired, God wants to speak to your heart. He's just going to drop a word in your heart. We're going to sing some songs. And you're gonna let God speak to you and then we're gonna pray together. And we're gonna dismiss. Would you stand with me please, my brothers and my sisters? There's no shame in being tired. Jesus said certain things only come out through prayer and fasting. I mean, certain things only come out. In other words, you can only get that kind of victory that's something God is trying to bring into your life and victories that God is trying to bring through your life to other people. When you are open and honest with God, tell him how you feel and listening to him as he reminds you of who he is and who you are and how to look at this life without being overwhelmed by it. If God is speaking to your heart, you can begin to come to the front of this auditorium we're gonna to pray together. We usually call this the altar, as you know. But it's just a time where we stand together and we remind each other that we're not alone. I think the best thing about the altar is it breaks the back of the devil. Amen. The devil that tries to isolate you, tries to tell you you're the only one. Everybody else is purely energy, and you're the only one who's tired. That's not true. This is your family. These are your brothers and your sisters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's a strange thing. It's almost like Moses asked a question. And in a very real sense, God, when speaking to Jesus, answers that question. Moses asked the question, have I found grace in your sight? And when God speaks to Jesus in Moses' presence... He says, you are my son, and I am very pleased with you. It's a wonderful thing to know that God's favor is on your life. A wonderful thing to know. Pastor Carter, Pastor Teresa, God has really spoken to their hearts. And they see this as a year of faith and a year of favor. And I agree with them 100%. This is a time, to praise God, for us to recognize how much God loves us, to recognize his favor, to recognize his faithfulness, and to put our faith in him. Father, in Jesus' name, we know that we are your sons and daughters, and we know that you are well pleased with us. We know that we have found favor in your sight. We have found grace in your sight. And we're asking you to simply remind us of this reality. God, pray for every person in this room, and particularly for those who've come to this altar, and those who are at various places of prayer. And I say, God, in Jesus' name, would you speak a word to us? word in season, oh God. A word in season. A word to the weary, Lord. We're not ashamed of the fact that sometimes we get tired. We're not going to let the devil make us ashamed. We're not going to allow him to rob us of our confidence in you. Instead, we're going to come to you and we're going to be honest. We're not going to try religion. We're going to say, God, we love you you and we trust you and we are coming to you and saying God I need a second wind I need strength I need your will to be done I need power I today I simply commit to allowing your will to be done that's my resolution not my will but yours be done hallelujah And we're believing you, God, to speak to us, not just once or twice, but as we saw in the book of Acts, fill us again and again and again and again and again. Tell us as often as we need to hear it that we are your sons, we are your daughters. Lord, we come as a family against every lie of Satan, every lie that would try and rob God's people of their position, every lie that would try and rob God's people of the pleasure of serving the person of God. We come against it in Jesus' name. We know that the enemy cannot move us but we refuse. If we cannot be moved spiritually, we will not be moved emotionally. We know that we are your children. We know that we are your sons and daughters. We come against every lie, and instead we bask in the truth. The truth of your love, the truth of your mercy, the truth of your grace, the truth of your goodness, the truth of your acceptance, the truth of your embrace, the truth that you are proud of us, that we are your sons and daughters, that you love us and that you like us, that you are our father, that you can be trusted, that we can put all of our hope and all of our dreams in your hands, God. You make us and mold us according to your image, Lord. We still have a long way to go. There's still a great responsibility in front of us. We thank you for the days that have gone by. We thank you for the goodness that you've already manifested. But God, we're not finished yet. We still have a thing to do. We still have a call in our life. We still have a responsibility in this generation. And Lord, we want to see your name glorified in it. We thank you for it, O oh God. And we bless you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, 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 amen. God bless you.